Well, I am officially old. <laughs> I'm not officially old because I turned 45 last month or because now I wake up in the mornings and a body part is sore that's never been sore before. And for no apparent reason, can I get a witness up in here? Anybody else deal with that? I'm not old because now without my glasses, I got to hold my phone out here to see. That's not why I'm old. I'm old because I recently said something that made me officially old. If you've ever said this before, you are officially old as well. You want to know what it is? You're going to have to wait a second, okay, because I do need to stop right here. And uh, welcome again, anyone who is new with us. Also, anyone who's joining us on video today or online sometime later. Uh, just so glad that you are here. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And I am thrilled that all of you are here today to learn about why I am old. So... Here, here's why, I promise this has a point. We're getting somewhere here, I, I promise. A couple weeks ago, our daughter Jada, she is 12, uh, she asked me a very serious question. She asked, how in the world did you survive without the internet? That's what she asked me. And with my answer, I proved that I am now old because I started off by saying this. Well, back in my, yeah, see, you've said it too. Back in my day, and then I went on this rant about the joys and the struggles of not having access to the things that she has access to. Every generation does this, by the way. Uh, with each new generation, they tell the next one how much easier they have it. But also, we try and convince the next generation of why the way we grew up was so much better than the way they grew up, and we need to get back to the good old days, right? Anyone willing to admit that you've said this before? Okay, uh, a few honest people. Mental note, we need to do a series on honesty coming up here in the future. <laughs> Here's an example. Did you know that there are now people that watch other people play video games. They don't actually play the video game, they watch other people play the video game. Like there are people that make money, lots of money, as professional video game players because other people watch them. I, I realize I'm cementing my old status and I'm totally okay with that. Back in July, a 16-year-old named Kyle Geardsdorf, here's a picture of Kyle Geardsdorf, he's known in the video game world as Booga, he, he won the $3 million prize for winning the Fortnite video game tournament. Two million people tuned in on the live stream to watch him play video games. And the tournament was held in the Arthur Ashe Tennis Stadium in New York that holds 23,000 people and was sold out for the entire tournament that weekend. Here's a picture of people watching people play video games, paying money to do this. Now, my generation, Gen X, we see this and we say this. Man, we need to get back to the good old days. Because back in my day, we didn't watch people play video games. We actually played video games and we didn't get paid to do it. We were just good because we were good. We even knew the cheat code to Contra. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, start. But we didn't use it because we were good. Can I get a witness up in here? That's my generation. My parents' generation says this, man, we got to get back to the good old days. Because back in my day, we didn't even have video games. 
We, we use this God-given thing called an imagination. You should try it sometime. Now, again, I'm cementing my old status. I understand. Every generation does this. Every, it's, it's just human nature. With, with every new invention, with each new modern-day convenience, whatever it is, like, like whatever fad or trend comes along, uh, we, we talk about how we got to get back to the way things were. We need to get back to the good old days. But there's not many people willing to give up all their modern day conveniences to go back. <laughs> I don't see many people changing the way they live now to live like they did back then. And really, this is now I'm getting to the point. This happens in the church, too. It happens in Christianity. Not, not just like Element Church, but, but the church, God's church. We talk about how church used to be. How we need to get back to the way church was when, when I grew up. Back to the good old days. Or if we're super spiritual, uh, we'll say things like this. We just need to get back to being the kind of church they had in Acts. We need an Acts chapter 2 kind of church. And here's the thing. I actually agree. Now, I know for, for some people in the room or maybe joining us uh, online, you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the Acts chapter 2 church, and in some ways you're blessed not to know uh, that. And it's okay if you don't know, because that's where we're going to start today, okay? So let's start there. The main scripture today is Acts 2, 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. And the whole book of Acts is basically the story of the very first followers of Jesus. You should read it. It's amazing. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, we will give you one for free. Just ask for one out in the lobby before you go. We'll get you one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you uh, right now, you can use the screens as well. I would encourage us to read all of Acts 1 and 2 sometime this week so you get the broad picture but for a brief background and maybe a little bit longer background than I'd normally give, let's set up the, the stage here. This, what we're reading, is 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He has appeared now to his followers on a number of different occasions, and he told his disciples, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when he comes upon you, you'll be filled with power to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, which we are carrying on that mission in this very moment. So the disciples did as they were told. They stayed in Jerusalem. There were about 120 followers of Jesus, and in Acts chapter 2, it tells us they were in an upstairs room praying. As they were praying, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, came upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We are told that there was the sound of a mighty windstorm, which would not stand out in Cheyenne, but in Jerusalem, that got people's attention. So much attention that thousands of people who were in Jerusalem gathered around this house where the upstairs room was. And then Peter, one of the apostles, stepped outside, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the very first sermon ever recorded in the Christian church to these thousands of people. And it was a sermon all about Jesus. 
that Jesus was God in the flesh, the long-awaited Messiah, that he was not just the king of the Jews, but he was king of kings and lord of lords, that he lived a sinless and perfect life. He died on a cross, but three days later, as all of these people would have heard about, and some of them saw with their own eyes, three days later, he rose from the dead. So now, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord by faith in Jesus and repenting of their sins, they will be forgiven given of their sins, and they will be saved. That was Peter's message, okay, in a nutshell. And it brings us to our main scripture today. So this is the description we're about to read of the Acts 2 church. And this is what many people, including myself, okay, would love to see happen in our church as well. I'll highlight some of the things we tend to focus on, okay? Acts 2, starting in verse 41, says this. Peter finished the message, and this says this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Can you imagine that? They went from 120 to 3,000 in one moment, Last Sunday, we saw 12 people profess faith in Jesus, which is amazing, by the way, and we celebrate every single one of those, but they had 3,000, and they were all baptized as well. That's incredible to me that that happened, okay? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, hanging out together, and to sharing in meals. So basically, if you know what a church potluck is, it started here including the Lord's Supper, that's communion, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many, not one or two, many, miraculous signs and wonders. That if you read Acts, people were being healed of being lame or deaf or blind or being even raised from the dead. That's what the early church was seeing happen. And all the believers met together in one, uh, one place. That's not a great translation, by the way. Uh, most versions say all the believers were together, meaning they weren't all in one place. There was not a, a place big enough for, for 3,120 of them. It means that they were all united. They were together, okay? So here we see the church just united. We tend to focus on that. And they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill, the company of all the people. There's that fellowship piece that we always kind of tend to focus on and talk about. And each day, each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Is that not incredible? Like even at face value, that's pretty awesome, right? Like those results are hard to ignore when you read them. 3,000 people uh, joining the church in one day through faith, new people being added every day. Like people were actually getting along. They were united. They were enjoying each other's company. They were meeting in homes and, and sharing meals together. There was miracles, signs, and wonders happening. I mean, those are the kind of results people talk about. Those are the kind of results that we want to see happen in the church. The problem is this, 
For a lot of Christians, even for a lot of pastors like myself, we want all the results of the Acts 2 church without having to make any of the Acts 2 kinds of sacrifices or commitments. We want to experience the full life that these very first Christians experienced without having to live the lifestyle that they lived. Hello. <laughs> it really is similar in talking about how we want to go back to the good old days, only we're not willing to change the way we're living to go back to that day. Now, you might be here, and that stuff from Acts, like, it doesn't even matter to you at all. Uh, you might even be here, and you don't even believe in God at all. And if that's you, man, I, I am thrilled, thrilled that you are here. Whether you ever believe what we believe or not, we love you, and we love it that you are, are here. And I, I love the fact that while this may not be of interest to you right now, today, and in this sermon series that we're starting today that I hope you'll keep coming to, you're going to see from Scripture, and you will hear from me exactly what we want our church to be about, exactly why our church exists. Why is the name of the series. We're starting today. It's four weeks long. And why is a powerful question. It's only one word, but it has the potential to change everything. Why, the answer to it, can describe the motivation behind the mission. It can describe the background behind the behavior. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to use the lens of Scripture to, to look at why we exist as, as a church, and we're starting right here in Acts chapter 2. And what I want to focus on for the, for the remainder of our time today is not what the early church accomplished, experienced, or saw happen. That's actually the direction I was headed with this message. But I was challenged by something, that that's what we typically focus on, is what happened. But that's not looking deep enough. So today I want us to look under the surface, under the hood, if you will, of this early church. That before we dive into our vision and our values, which we'll be doing that in detail the next couple of weeks, and that's important, by the way, vision is important. Like here is our vision, it's on the screens right there, it's a vision and a statement that we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Like that is what matters to our church. We want to help all of us experience that right here in this, in this place. But before we dive into that, I want us to look at who we need to be. I make no apologies that the things we read that happened in, in and, and for the, the early church, the things we read just a minute ago, I want to see that happen in our church. I want to see that happen in God's church. I'd be stupid not to say that. I mean, the amount of people they reached, the, the, the levels of impact they had on their community, the numbers of miracles they saw do, like who wouldn't want that to happen? But that's our problem. We look too much at results. So here's the big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. We'll never see what the early church saw unless we become who the early church was. We'll never see what the early church saw. We'll never get back to the good old days unless we become who the early church 
was. Now, I'm not saying that this today is a formula to experience the same things or that there is a guarantee that we will ever see the levels of things that they saw. I'm just saying that who the early church was is so much more important than what they saw happen. It was of utmost importance that we'll never see what the early church saw unless we become who the early church was. So here's then I think the logical big question to answer today. What should we be as a church or who, if you want to use that terminology, make it personal, what or who should I be as a person? These things we'll see today. I want you to know that no matter the result of what happens in our church, you can rest assured these things will continue to be what we teach and challenge our church and our people to be. That if there are any words used to describe our church and our people, the three things we're looking at today, I hope it'll be these three things. Regardless of what happens, I hope it's these. So what should we be as a church? Number one is this. We should be devoted. We should be devoted. Acts 2, going back to verse 42, look at what this says. All the believers, not some of the believers, not the really super duper spiritual ones, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, that's communion, and to prayer. You see, this is the part we don't talk about so easily when it comes to being an Acts 2 kind of church. We, we like the, the, the sexy stuff. We like the results. 3,000 people saved and baptized in one day. Miracles, signs, and wonders happening in, in the church. But here, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning all the believers lived their lives in line with the will and way of God as expressed through his word. That they did not just have a profession of faith, they had a practiced faith. They actually lived it out. They didn't, they didn't just confess their sins to God. They were committed to leave their life of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit living in them. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, now, you don't have to devote yourself to living your life that way in order to be a part of our church. As long as you understand that is what our church is and will be founded on. We are founded on the word of God. And we will continue to challenge all people, me included, to be people of devotion, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoting to, to live out our lives according to the will and way of God expressed only in his word. I don't even have time to get into the prayer piece of this. 
It says they were devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. So I have to wonder, church, is, is the power that the early church displayed related at all to the prayers they were devoted to pray? They didn't just pray bold prayers every now and then. Anybody can throw up a bold prayer, especially when we're in trouble. They didn't just throw up bold prayers every now and then. They were devoted to prayer. That's challenging to me, church. It's challenging to me. We'll never see what the early church saw until we become who the early church was. So what should we be as a church? We should be devoted. Devoted to the way of God as expressed in his word. And we should be devoted to prayer. And I know that this one point deserves a whole sermon and that's already a lot to chew on. But if we're going to get through this, we've got to move on. So what should we be as a church? Number two is this. We should be deliberate. We should be deliberate. Here's what I mean. Look at how deliberate these believers were in the early church in their devotion to God, their devotion to each other, which we haven't even talked about, and in their discipline to do what it takes to grow in their faith and grow with one another. Acts 2, 46 and 47a says this. Look at their deliberateness. They worshiped together, so they came together, at the temple, the church, each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, that's communion, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. These early Christians, if you say you want to be an Acts 2 church, these early Christians went to church every day. That's pretty deliberate, is it not? Now, now, don't get freaked out, okay? I am not announcing the start of a daily service. I am not challenging anyone to go to church every single day. I'm not on a recruiting trail for volunteers to come to church and serve every single day. Like, trust me, I don't want to go to church every day and I get paid to be here, okay? So I'm not doing that. I'm not challenging us to do that. I'm just saying, their devotion to God led to a deliberate discipline of gathering together for worship, to hear from the word, and to follow him. It was deliberate. You can't meet every day without being deliberate in that act. And not only did they go to the temple for corporate worship like we're doing now, but they met in each other's homes. And for what? What did they meet for? not just to hang out, although I'm sure they had some great hangout sessions. They met for the Lord's Supper, for communion. So that was a deeply spiritual practice for them. As I said earlier in the worship portion of our, of our service, they were eagerly expecting Christ to return every day when they took communion. Now it doesn't say this, but I do think it's implied that if they were gathering for communion in each other's homes, 
that meant they were probably doing some kind of learning as well together about the will and way of God as expressed through his word and the apostles' teaching. So do you know what that sounds like to me? Small groups. Isn't that convenient? You see, small groups are not something Element Church cooked up, you know, to try to get you to do something more with your spiritual life. You know, nobody on staff gets a kickback or a reward for the more people we have in small groups. Like, we actually really do believe that small groups are the best way to connect into meaningful relationships and take your faith to the next level. And really, it all began right here. 50 days after Christ rose from the dead, when these very first believers realized, gang, we are better together. We're better together than we are apart. That's one of our core values, by the way, better together. That, that we, we become the most like Christ when we are connected together through Christ. That you can grow by yourself, I guess, but you won't grow the way you should unless you're connected with other people. You just won't. The early church showed us that. And listen, please hear me. I don't want anyone to feel like I'm picking on anybody. I know sometimes it is incredibly hard to find a group that fits your schedule or your style. I get that. And I know there are legitimate things that can prevent us. Even me as the pastor, I go on vacation. And I don't come to church on Sundays, you know, where I'm on vacation with my family. We try to go to church somewhere. Can I just throw that one in there? I didn't plan on saying that, but someone needs to hear that. That just because my church is on vacation doesn't mean we take vacation from worship. So we find a church somewhere or we'll watch a church online if we have to, but we try to go to church. Hasn't happened every single time, but if we can, we try to go to church. So, but I know there's legitimate things that keep us from coming to church on, on the weekend. But, but, and this is true about all of us. It's true. We are the most deliberate in our lives about the things that are most important to our life. And I can't think of anything more important than my faith. And as Christians, until, if you're not a Christian, disregard. But as Christians, until we get deliberate on the discipline of gathering together, you're like, whew, I got that one today. Until we get deliberate on the discipline of gathering together, both for corporate worship and for the study of his word, we will never see the results of this early church. Now, I don't know, like we're not gonna meet every day. It's just logistically not, not possible. I get that. But there was a deliberateness about these early Christians that just said, we are better together. We need one another. So, as you heard early in the service, there's a booklet on the chairs with a list of all the groups. And, and you, you might say, well, I, Pastor Jeff, I don't really need a group right now. I'd argue that. But let's just say you don't. You're, you're the one Christian on the planet that's the most like Jesus, and you don't actually need a group. I would say this. If you're that spiritually mature that you don't need a group, there's probably a group that needs you. And for you to keep yourself from adding to that group is actually not very mature. 
You might even say, I don't even believe in God. Then we have a perfect group for you. It's called starting point. It's, all, it's for people who don't even believe yet or people who just need a fresh start in what's all this Christian stuff about. And there's all the information in, in, your, in your booklets there. And please, you're not a bad Christian if you're not in a small group. You're not like kicked out. Like you can come here and never, ever, 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 ever connect. I'm just telling you, you will be the most deliberate about what's the most important. You just will. And I have no apology saying that. And we will continue to challenge our church to be connected. You need it. I, I'm in a group. I need it. So we, we need to be connected. We'll never see what the early church saw until we become who the early church was. So what should we be? We should be devoted. We should be deliberate. Number three, we should be deniers. I'm not even sure that's grammatically correct, but it works for me. I'm sure someone will send me an email to correct me. This is probably the least talked about thing when it comes to the Acts 2 kind of church. It's not the one we celebrate. Because more than their devotion, which was undeniable, more than their being deliberate, which was unbelievable, the hallmark characteristic of the early church was their self-denial. Their self-denial. These early Christians, you can read it, they radically and sacrificially gave of themselves for others. They gave of their time, their talents, their treasures. And I'm not even saying to the church. They lived that way for everyone. They lived their life with, with open hands. It's almost like these early Christians took the teaching of Jesus seriously. Where Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, can we get that on the screen? You must give up your own way. Most versions say you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That there's no escaping this in scripture. The life of the Christian is one of self-denial. And I don't know what this looks like in our modern day world. And I don't know what it looks like. Okay. I, I can't determine that for you. All I know is the life of denial from these early Christians started at the very bottom rung of just opening up their homes to share meals with people. And it went all the way up to the highest level of sacrifice. Acts 2, 44b and 45 says this. And they shared everything they had. They held it with open hands. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Woo! I kind of want to stop preaching at this point because now I'm preaching to me. And this wasn't a one-time thing. This was the characteristic of the early church. Acts 4, 32 through 35, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. It actually belongs to God. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. I just wonder if God's blessing was on them because they held their stuff with open hands. There were no needy people among them. 
Let that sink in. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. They were people of self-denial, okay? And again, I don't know how we apply this in this modern day world. It was a different world, I get it. But they were people of self-denial. That's evident. In fact, they were willing to give everything. And we struggle to hold some things with open hands. And what was the result of all this? What was the result of their devotion, their being deliberate and their self-denial? It's actually the result that we should be praying for and hoping for the most. Not for miracles, not for great potlucks, not for amazing small groups, not even for unity, although those are all great things. Here's what the result was, Acts 2, 47b. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every single day, the church was seeing people put their faith in Jesus. Every single day. And this wasn't a one-time thing either. Acts 4 verse 4. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men, not even now women and children, the number of men who believed totaled 5,000. Acts 5.14. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord crowds of both men and women. And then years later, Acts 14 verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogues and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks, Greeks just means non-Jews, which is all of us, unless you're here and you're Jewish, which is awesome. Both Jews and non-Jewish people, many of them put their faith in Jesus. It happened again and again and again. And until there's no more people left on the planet who don't know Jesus, that is our prayer. And I think one of the reasons the early church saw so many people put their faith in Christ is because other people saw so, it, it, the other people saw in so many people what Christ could do for them. Like these early Christians, they were different. They stood out. They, they did not blend into the culture. They shined their light bright in the culture. And other people saw it and they said, I want what they have. They were devoted, they were deliberate, and they were people of self-denial. Not sure where to go with this. <laughs> I even told the team today, I don't even know how I'm supposed to close today. Here, here's what I'll say, I'll, I'll leave it with this. For the remainder of this series now, we're gonna use scripture 
We've seen under the hood now. This is who we should be. Devoted, deliberate, people of denial. And you don't have to be that to be a part of our church. You don't. As long as you know, that is what we're challenging our church to be. So if you can continue being challenged by that, please come. And now we're going to, next week, I'll just tell you, we're going to look at the, the first part of our vision of experiencing life to its fullest. And I'm going to teach next week on why Jesus is the only way to experience life. So if you want to know why Jesus is the only way, by all means, you can ask us today. We'll tell you. But if you want some good teaching on it next week, we're going to do that. And then we're going to look at next week on this get connected piece, but we're going to look deeper than just, hey, being a small group. We're going to look at some super valuable stuff on why it's so important that we're connected. And then on our anniversary, 12-year anniversary Sunday, October 6th, we're going to look at how do we make a lasting impact? What's that look like? And I got something so cool we're going to share with you guys uh, that is just, it's, it's confirming to me that we're on the right path, but that's where we're headed. But it all starts with this. Who we are is more important than what we do. Let's be devoted. Let's be deliberate. Let's be people of denial. All right? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word, for the challenge and truth in it. Lord, please teach us to be devoted, to be deliberate in our connection with you and others. And Lord, I pray for myself, for our church, give us wisdom on how can we be people of self-denial that makes an impact in the world around us. We love you, God, and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.